0: We supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe I left. just want somebody to share my life. This search can sometimes last so much longer than what is fair. You
1: can keep waiting for the fairy tale,
0: or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships.
1: If you've read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. The holiday season just keeps on trucking. And I love it. I love all the holiday rom com movies. I love the holiday music. I love, you know, my Sono's holiday channel. I love all that. But there's something about the holidays that I don't love so much. And that's the single shame. We have all had parents and well intentioned grandmas and coworkers and friends get nosy around the holidays about why aren't you bringing somebody to celebrate with? You know what I'm talking about. And Brene Brown, who is a huge inspiration to me, she says, shame is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. So this makes sense that we would feel shame around being single. But when we feel that single shame, sometimes it can impact feelings of worth in other areas of your life too but I believe that there are magical moments in singlehood that should be celebrated instead of being shamed. And my guest today agrees. I'm going to be talking to Shaney Silver. She's the author of the new book, A Single Revolution. Don't look for a match, light one. She's also the host of a single serving podcast, both of which are changing the negative narratives around being single. We are going to discuss reducing single shame and embracing the many joys of a single life. But first, we have to dish. We're going to be talking about hardball dating, what is it and why you're probably doing it wrong, and atheists, hot or not, science tells us the answer. Then later, I will answer questions from you like what to say if you're feeling that third date pressure and how to learn more about yourself when you're starting over in dating at the age of 40. Lovers, let's celebrate and let's dish. D's Dating Dish. Hardball dating. This is the new dating trend. What it means is being direct about what you want. According to Bumble, it's going to be the biggest relationship trend of 2022. They say almost half of single people are looking to reset their dating lives in the new year. People are just like, nah, I am done trying to contort myself into whatever these dates want me to be or trying to jump through hoops or pretend I'm something else in my profile. You know what? I'm just gonna be open and honest about exactly what I want from the relationship. Bumble found that more than half of the people on the app said that they are now more upfront with dates about what they want. And in this article I read in stylist.com, relationship coach Haley Quinn says, the benefit of hardballing is clear. You figure out whether someone is open to the same things as you faster. So the good thing about the new way that we're dating is that we're doing the screening. You know, I'm always talking about these dating loops and screening is the third loop. And it was what was not happening before the pandemic as people were on hyperspeed dating, like swipe, 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 maybe start texting a little bit, go right to the date. We were skipping that screening step. So it does make sense that we don't want to go back to the, like, the weird situationships and the dating somebody for the wrong reasons and figuring out you're not compatible later down the road. This is all good. And I love this idea of hardball dating. Let me tell you, however, what you will not read in this article and what hardball dating is not. Because I think a lot of people are misreading, they're misunderstanding. They're like, oh, yeah, hardball dating. This is great. I get to be just brutally honest and upfront, and it's my way or the highway. I'm going to be a hardball about it. And this is where I kind of take issue with this term, which has been floating around for the last year or so. I don't want you to be hard about anything, I want you to be clear. I know clearball dating doesn't have the same kind of ring to it, but hardball dating is not when you put in your profile, don't even talk to me if you are unfaithful or if you have a obsession with gaming or whatever it is that your ex did that you didn't like, do not lead in the profile with that. I'm going to raise the stakes here. Don't even put it in your profile. I don't even want to see it in your profile. <laughs> don't even talk to me if you have. Don't even talk to me in your profile. Just because it feels like it's something that is a filter, but what it is is actually a barrier. You see the difference there? We don't want barriers. We want filters. So instead, sort of lead by example. I also believe that hardball dating is not dumping all your baggage on the table and expecting Prince Charming to pick it up for you. So this is what I see a lot of the times. If I just tell them all my stuff, and we all have stuff, but I'm just gonna tell them all the stuff on date one. And if that person does not respond or isn't going to accept me for me and all my stuff, then they're not the one anyway. And that's not fair to yourself and to the other person because then you don't give any opportunity for conversation. You don't give any opportunity for the partnership to grow. And it's just unfair to ask someone to make that kind of an emotional investment in you. I'm gonna take all your baggage. I don't even know the good stuff yet, but I'm just going to like accept your stuff right away. So don't do that. Hardball dating is also not just being an asshole, okay? <laughs> Sometimes we think if I'm just super direct, there's all these books on like, why men love alpha bitches. And if you're just a bitch or if you're like a very direct pickup artist and you neg her, then she's really going to be falling over herself for you. This is incorrect. This is not the correct interpretation of hardball dating. And the last thing I want to leave you with is centering yourself in the love story. This is the toughest one. Hardball dating is not, this is all about me. This is the story I'm writing for myself. Doesn't really matter what that other person says. I am building the life that I want, and this is how I want my story to go. And this is the challenge with dating right now, is a lot of people have been in isolation, have become more of themselves, which is an excellent thing. But there is inherent in any relationship or partnership, there's compromise, there's listening. There's a blending of two people's lives. So this is not a story where you are you are the sole protagonist. You have to back up and look at this almost from the point of view of the narrator. So you're one character in the story, but there's another person in the story. And think about in 2022, how you can take that information in from the other person and try to understand their perspective. You've heard me talk this year a lot about empathetic dating. So that's really what I mean about empathetic dating. It's not meaning let yourself be walked over in a relationship or accept everything that someone else does, but it's try to understand what they are coming to the table with so that there's space at the table for you and the stuff that you're bringing to the table too. In order to be a hardball dater, however, you must be clear. You must be clear on what you're looking for, what you want, what your values are, how you like to communicate. All of these things are really key parts of compatibility. And we can't be hardball dating based on a superficial list. If we're going to be hardball dating, we have to do the hardball work and really getting clear ourselves on what is the life that we're trying to build and becoming mindful about building our life together with that person who matches with you on that level. Well, if you're out here looking for a match and you classify yourself as an atheist, there's some things that you should know. According to the Psy Post, atheists now are viewed as less desirable romantic partners. I thought this was a great good story for the holidays, too. (laughs) There's a new study among U.S. college students that says atheists may be seen as less attractive romantic partners compared to their theist counterparts. Why? Well, let's talk about stereotypes. There are some positive social stereotypes about atheists, according to the study, like they're fun, they're open-minded, they're great for short-term relationships, which is actually a stat that I have been familiar with for a while that atheists actually get more matches on dating apps. On the flip side, there were some negative stereotypes that were associated with atheists. They were seen as being more prone to infidelity, and they were also seen as less trustworthy overall and like they would be a less dedicated parent. So I guess when people are thinking about long-term compatibility, people are playing it all the way forward. We're imagining they're meeting our friends. Now they're meeting our parents. Now we're getting married. Now we're having children with them. Wait a minute. How are we going to raise the children? They're an atheist. Are my children going to be atheists? My children are going to hell. And I think we just got way ahead. We got way ahead of ourselves, didn't we? So this is just based on this study. But I do see these trends also on dating apps. Now, does this mean if you're looking for short-term dating, you should say that you're an atheist? No, absolutely not. You have to be authentic. I think this is the moral of this entire dating dish section. Be authentic, be who you are and believe what you believe, but be clear about it. We are seeing a trend among younger people to classify themselves as spiritual but not religious. It used to just be a box you check on match.com, but now it's an actual lifestyle choice. And I think it doesn't matter so much what someone's religious beliefs or lack thereof are. It's more important that you match with someone who supports you in your belief system, lets you practice your faith in the way that you practice it and that you have conviction and clarity in what you believe. All right, now I'm gonna step down off of the pulpit because we are going to be talking to Shaney Silver. She's the host of a single serving podcast. She's gonna be talking about how to overcome single shame and we're gonna to go toe to toe on the topic of dating apps. So this is definitely an interview you are not going to want to miss. Welcome back. I am here with Shaney Silver. She's the host of a single serving podcast and the author of the new book, A Single Revolution. Don't look for a match, light one. She's been featured in Medium on NPR and in Refinery29, where she published her essay series called Every Single Day About Living a Single Life. Shaney is committed to changing the negative narratives around being single. So please help me give big smooches to the fabulous Shani Silver. Hi, it's so good to see you again. It's good to see you. It's good to have you here. I feel like people wouldn't know that we're cool with each other if you read just our Instagrams <laughs> and they're like, Demona's all about dating apps all the time. Shani's about no dating apps any of the time. And yet, and yet there's a middle
0: ground here. Our middle ground, I think, is simply a love for single women. I think that's where a lot of that middle ground comes is like, we want people to be happy and feel good and live lives that they enjoy. And I think that's a, that's a wonderful place to meet in the middle.
1: It's not that you're anti-partnership, but I also see a lot of people moving into partnerships for the wrong reasons. And, you know, especially coming out of this time, I don't know if we're coming out of this time of, for a lot of people, major isolation. And then moving into the holiday period, which can mean like, you know, a rubber band into like now I'm surrounded by people and there and having to like take stock of what do I want in the next year? What is this new world that I'm building? It can be very stressful. You've built a whole new life for yourself?
0: <laughs> I have indeed. I have indeed. Yeah, I I decided to move across the country and pay less rent and have a much bigger house. So that's You're happy with this choice? I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I love New York and I will always love it and I will always miss it. But to come back to a house and just twirl down my very long hallway and past a guest room that I could never have in New York is just, it was what I wanted. It was the season of my life to live in a place that was different and a little more tailored to what I want my life to be right now. So that's what I did. And also like you have so many more reasons to wear glitter here. Like I don't see the problem. You know what I mean?
1: New Orleans is the glitter capital of the United States. Maybe even the world. Uh, (laughs) There is a freedom, I feel like, in being single and living your life for yourself. Like, you get to create that. And I also want to give anyone who feels like they need sort of permission or expansion around that. I've seen a lot of people leave their jobs, leave their cities and build new lives for themselves in this time of reflection and introspection. And I think that's really a beautiful, a beautiful thing. Um, you also wrote a book and released a book. in this
0: time. I did. I did. Casual, right? Yeah.
1: Tell us about what made you want to write A Single Revolution.
0: I wanted to write it because for many of the same reasons I started my podcast, I didn't see anything existing in the single space that wasn't about dating, that wasn't about pursuit, that wasn't about search. And the undercurrent of many of those things, not all, but many of those things is that your singlehood is something that's wrong. Your singlehood is a problem that needs to be fixed. And it's fine if you don't want to be single. I don't want to be single. I would like to be in a partnership, but where the problems for me lie is that the search and the pursuit and the desire can sometimes last so much longer than what is fair, than what makes sense, than what we should be expected to, uh, to undertake or deal with emotionally and mentally. It's just, it's, it's harder than it should be. And the pain of that the struggle of that, the exhaustion, all of it, I found a way to leave that space. I found a way to move past that space. And if I can do it, if I can reach out from the darkest pits of singlehood despair and find a life that I love, if I can do that, anyone can. And so I wanted to provide a roadmap for that. And I wanted to contribute something to the singlehood space that did not approach single women like They were unfinished, like their life wasn't real yet, like they weren't fully adult yet. I wanted to validate us and give us something that was supportive and welcoming and basically just didn't tell us that we were wrong.
1: Yeah, you talk a lot, as I do as well, about reducing shame around being single. You talk about getting rid of single shame. I see this a lot, and sometimes it's internal and sometimes it's from these external factors that I feel like we need to learn how to mute. How have you in your own life or, you know, in the women that you talk to on your podcast and that you inspire through your work, how do you recommend silencing some of those voices that tell you that you should be ashamed of being single, that there is something wrong?
0: Sure. And first of all, if anyone is listening and they are feeling single shame, you are seen and loved and not alone in any capacity. The way that I discuss shame among my audience and just sort of in my own head is I like to remind myself that no one else is living my life. There's no way that my singlehood, the singlehood that belongs to me, could possibly be affecting the people who are shaming me. It can't possibly affect someone who thinks that my singlehood at 39 years old is shameful. It's not happening to them. It has zero impact on their life whatsoever. So they have no dog in my fight. They don't. This this has nothing to do with them. So that distance that I place between me and the person with the, oh, have you tried dating apps? I can't believe you're still single. How are you still single? Let me see your profile. Let me see if your profile's right. That sort of thing. They're not living my life. I am. And my singlehood cannot possibly be affecting them. So their words in that way can have less impact on me.
1: <laughs> you brought up dating apps. So I guess we should talk about dating apps. <laughs> Um, how are you feeling about dating apps right now in this moment? I've read a lot of your work about dating apps in the past, but I know also sometimes things are changing.
0: I am three years now dating app free and they have been the best three years of my life, my adulthood. So I feel the same that I always felt about dating apps. And I wish that I could come on a podcast and say, you know what? I really think the tides are turning. I really think they're getting better. I really think that, the apps are learning, and I think they are building in tools to protect, support, and help single women. But I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I would love to see it, not for myself, but for people who uh, would like to use them. So far, what I've seen is that they are still a for-profit industry that is not taking good care of the women inside of them. And I mean, for anyone who doesn't know, I used them for 10 years, 10 full years. And I never had even one relationship result from that effort, that time, that money. So, um, I try to look at the logic of dating apps and it's, it's not that I don't think that they work. And I put work in air quotes, um, because everyone knows somebody that met on a dating app, everyone. I just look at it a bit different. I see the relationships that have come out of dating apps to be less of the norm and more of the exception. And I remind myself that we are talking about a for-profit industry, and when you meet someone, the dating app stops making your money. So I think there's like an inherent push-pull that I don't like because a dating app is incentivized to keep me single as long as possible. And it showed me that, certainly. But I tend to see the people who do meet on dating apps as more of an exception because I have seen much more struggle and, you know, the horror stories um, than I would like.
1: Well, I would say that some of that is just that, because, you know, I've been writing dating profiles since before it was school. Of course, I did too. As people have moved into dating apps being one of the primary ways that we date, I feel like a lot of frustration that was inherent in the dating process overall has been moved to dating apps. But you say in in the book that dating technology has advanced much faster than the societal views of women have and of single women have. I 100% agree with it, but I want to understand from your vantage point how that plays out for single women on dating apps.
0: Sure. I see it as a bit of a devaluation. Because we are dating with our thumbs, we are swiping through faces, and we still have the negative opinions of single women that we are familiar with since you and I were kids, and it's, it's not good. It's the sad spinster narrative. Not only is it the sad spinster narrative, but the heterosexual inverse of that is the desirable playboy. It's the man who is single and a catch versus the woman who is single and a burden or a failure. And with that opinion, we moved into a digital dating world, a digital dating culture. And I see a disconnect in value between single men and single women. There is a reason why we screenshot horrific things and send them to our friends or post them in in Facebook groups for single people. It happens. It happens. It is a culture where terrible treatment and horrific manners happen. And I just... I don't think that it would be happening if we hadn't built a space where people thought it was allowed. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way that we view single women. I was tired of feeling like an item in a buffet that was just being constantly swiped through. I I didn't like feeling like I had to wave my arms and scream to get somebody's attention and to keep someone's attention, knowing that they could just flip past me to thousands of other women. That dynamic didn't feel good. And I wish that the playing field was a bit more even. I wish that the users on dating apps had identical goals every time. I wish that the dating app cared as much, genuinely cared as much about people really meeting and deleting the app. And I know that Hinge has it as a tagline, but honestly, that's just great copywriting. I wish that they cared as much about us meeting people as we did. And I find too many instances where the goals compete. And look, Dating apps are thriving. They're not dying because of a book that I wrote. But for anyone who is exhausted, exhausted and frustrated and harboring feelings of massive unfairness, that's who my book is for. And I say it in the book, if you're loving dating apps, please keep using them. If you enjoy them, please keep going. But if you're not, I just don't want people to feel like their only option is something that is hurtful.
1: I say this to my clients too, because a lot of times I find that dating apps you know when we're doing a program you know the dating accelerator is 10 weeks where we are making dating a priority it's like it's like going to boot camp right <laughs> like okay i want to do pilates and i'm going to do 10 weeks of pilates i literally am in the new year um god help me and <laughs> that's what i'm focusing on now i'm not going to commit to necessarily doing Pilates for my entire life. Like, I'm going to try this out, see how this works, and make it a focus. Because I think sometimes when you have those high expectations of like, I'm going to meet my soulmate, and we could have a whole conversation about the existence of soulmates and why they're not a real thing, and they keep a lot of people single. But I digress. When you go on with that goal, and I think the big thing that shifted is as people have moved onto the digital platform for dating the speed of dating has increased. So the intensity of dating has increased. And then the burnout comes faster and it's not sustainable. I think we're saying the same thing. So I will tell my clients, look, if you're at burnout, take a pause, take a break and go do you for a little bit. Do the things that are going to fill up your soul and make you love your life (laughs) as a human on this planet. And there may be a time where you feel the energy to come back to dating apps to try or to do a dating plan. Like we did an episode on like how to meet your person offline. I am platform agnostic. I just like the apps because that's how I met my husband. It's the most efficient for me with my clients, but we really put a strategy around it. Like I have friends in this business that will sign people to year long dating programs. And I'm like, I don't really want to do that because first of all, I mean, I, I don't want you in that headspace for that long. Does that make sense?
0: Of course it makes sense. Of course it does. And I think having a focus and an intention to any activity, not just dating, but having a focus and intention and a, a time frame that you are willing to give to something that has been difficult, maybe in the past, I think that's a solid way to approach it. And I mean that sounds cool to me. What what sounds less cool to me is doing that 50 times and still being single. And that's who the book is talking to. It's because it's real. It's happening for years and years at a time sometimes to single women, particularly as we pass the age of 30. And that's who I want to talk to, is the ones that are, we've gone beyond burnout. We've gone beyond just try something new. It's that what is happening. I don't understand. Everyone else is meeting somebody. Why can't I just meet someone? That moment of pain and exhaustion where you feel so alone and so undesirable and so lost and scared and frustrated. In those moments, I wanted a book to be there for somebody to provide some comfort.
1: Also, we watch a lot of TV in my house. I don't know if you watch as much TV, but also we get a lot of messages externally, as I was saying at the top of the show, like reality shows. And you talk about this in the book. I think The Bachelor has done a tremendous disservice to single people and couples alike. (laughs) Agreed. Bachelor done us dirty. Yes. And I mean, from the moment I first saw it, I'm a feminist and I'm just like, wait, like, who is who is this guy even where, like, all of these women are vying for a ring with this dude that they basically just met? I know all my Bachelor listeners fans of the show are like, forget it, Demona. You don't get it. And I don't get it. But do you get it, Cheney?
0: <laughs> yes, of course I do. You know what it is? It's gladiators. It is modern day gladiators where people would watch dudes like literally hurt each other in a ring and cheer them on because we're human beings. We've evolved. We're human beings. And for some reason, there is something in watching people compete that we love to see. There's something in watching people in situations that maybe we're too afraid or too vulnerable to put ourselves in. We like watching it happen to other people. If somebody makes entertainment for us, we're likely to be entertained. I get it. I'm just disappointed that The Bachelor, franchise is still happening because we've had some time to reflect on what we're looking at. We've had some time to reflect on if these relationships, if you can call them that, work. And you can go back and see who's still together and who's not. And the numbers are not in The Bachelor's favor, I got to tell you. But I get why we watch. It's because it's there. It's because somebody's creating entertainment for us. That's why we're, I don't. But it, I understand why other people watch.
1: Yeah, it's a competition. And you can really get caught up like as somebody also that who has worked in reality TV for many years? I think the stakes do feel real. You may go into it initially like, "Oh, I'm gonna see what happens," but then your glad your inner gladiator comes out, and you're like, "I'm gonna win this, man."
0: it's human. It's very human, but we know we're human. We know our flaws and foibles. We know all of it. I just can't believe that we are, we're still doing this. Does it not feel vintage to you at this point? The Bachelor feels vintage to me.
1: It felt vintage from the moment it came out, but again, (laughs) I'm an, I'm a feminist. And so it just never felt right to me. And then now i feel like we've internalized some of it and then people are sort of playing the bachelor without even realizing it in their own dating life and the other thing that i've seen you know i did a tv show that was a spin-off of married at first sight and god bless married at first sight i love watching the show but the idea that there's this person that's perfect for you and these experts are going to find him or her And you're going to get married legally and then you're going to work everything out. Sounds absolutely ludicrous. But now that I'm like back out pitching new reality shows, those are the stakes now. The stakes have to be and they get married. And why is getting married the goal? And I'm saying this as somebody who's been happily married for almost 15 years. I don't understand why marriage is the goal anyway for any relationship.
0: Drama. Maybe it's just for drama. I had a big bee in my bonnet about a show called Love is Blind.
1: Produced by the same production company.
0: Yes. And I <laughs> the, the, the bee in the bonnet was so big because why couldn't they have just started dating after that? Why couldn't – first of all, it, it inherently implied that single people are superficial beings who don't know how to date. We just care about looks and nothing else. Totally untrue. But well, after the <laughs> – Partially true.
1: But, <laughs> but we're, again, less we're becoming less,
0: becoming less true. Sure. Just based on the dating app data. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. We're, we're visual, we're visual creatures. I get course, it. But why couldn't they have just started dating after they chose each other or whatever, and they've never seen each other before. Why couldn't they have just gone to dinner? Why did it have to be, we're going to move
1: in together now and get married. Cause that was the bar. And I really caution people to think of that being the goal. Again, as a big proponent of marriage with the right person, I think we're in a really interesting time, Shani, where we get to write the rules of our life and our love life and how we want it to go. And I think a marriage does not necessarily signal a commitment. I think that's a different conversation and sometimes people are conflating the two.
0: I agree, because a marriage doesn't do anything for you. It's not magic it's it's very different the decision that you want to build a life with somebody to to spend your life with somebody to i mean that's a decision there there's no magical property to an engagement ring there's no magical property to a wedding dress it's what you intend your intention is what leads that not you know signing a piece of paper
1: okay so for Anyone who is single and relating to the things that you're saying, of course, they're first going to go out and get a single revolution. Don't look for a match, light one. (laughs) We'll put the link to the book in the show notes. But can you leave us with some inspiration for on a single serving podcast and the work that you do, how you help people feel that fullness in their single life and redefine their relationship with the quest for? A match
0: for sure, I'm very lucky in that single life will reveal its benefits to you pretty quickly when you start allowing it to. I want us to value this time in our lives rather than run from it rather than than wish it away. I want us to see and feel and experience the value of our single days because we're not always going to have them. and someday when I am in a partnership and I know that someday I will be because that's what I want, and I know that's what I deserve. Someday when that happens, I want to look back on my single time with love and joy and appreciation, not with a sigh of relief that it's over. I have chosen to live a different way because I want to soak up all the good in this time, all of the freedom and possibility and complete customization of my life to my preferences, which is a very long way of saying selfishness. There's just, there's no compromise for me. This is a life that I've tailored to myself and it's wonderful. and, And while I have my singlehood, I'm going to enjoy every day of it because someday that will change and that's great too. So I hope that we can enjoy both times of our lives in equal measure. Well, thank you, Shani.
1: I have enjoyed my time with you today. Everyone check out the book. We'll put the link in the show notes, A Single Revolution. Don't look for a match light one. And definitely listen to a single serving podcast. Thank you so much for being here, Shani.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I
1: hope you enjoyed our spirited conversation about dating apps. I know some of you may be in dating hiatus mode, while others may have been motivated by our conversation to get a jumpstart on the peak dating season, which starts at the beginning of the year. So either way, either way, I'm here for you, and either way, I got you. And of course, you can't go into the new year with the same old dating profile, because then you get that dating app burnout that Shani was talking about. You need a new and improved profile, and I can help you with that with my free Profile Starter Kit. You can get it at ProfileStarterKit.com or of course at DatesAndMates.com. It's a super cute, if I must say, ebook with detailed instructions and tips on creating a magnetic profile that will attract the right matches to you. I'll give you ideas on what to write in your bio, how to pick the best pictures... I even have a video tutorial along with it. You could have a new and improved profile in 15 minutes or less. I promise you. And it's 100% free. You can find the link to download it for free at datesandmates.com. In a moment, I will be back to answer your listener questions, including what does slow love even mean and how to start over in dating. We'll be right back. Well, hello, hello again. The questions are pouring in and I am here to help. Dear Damona. Damona, help me. A listener named M texted me this question. She says, something I hear you talk about often is slow love. Sign me up. My question for you is: how do I figure out if the men I'm going on dates with are on board for slow love too? I have been meeting some interesting guys on the apps and having fun dates, but with three u's, after the second or third date, I tend to cut it off because they indicate they want to explore the physical side of things and I'm just not there yet. I know my cutting it off comes from a fear of rejection. I'd rather be the one to end it instead of having the conversation and being labeled as a tease or a prude, which has happened before. I feel like I can't enjoy myself on or after date three because their expectation or hope of having sex is looming over me. How can I bring up waiting in a non-awkward way? Well, um, first of all, kudos to you on knowing what's important to you and holding your boundaries. So just go ahead and give yourself a little bit of credit for that because that's a hard thing to do in itself. There are a lot of people that'll be like, I'll just have sex with him because it's just like easier than the discomfort of telling him that I'm not really comfortable having sex yet. And I know there are people right now listening that are like, Uh, Yeah, I know what you're talking about, Demona. Um, And look, I know you get labeled a tease or a prude. I was a teaser and a prude for many years myself. But guess what? It's not their body. It's not their life. So those are just words. And maybe they're triggering something else you've heard before um, or something from your family of origin. But sticks and stones can break your bones. Their words will not hurt you. So, it's okay for you to hold a boundary and for them to if they call you a teaser or prude, that is a great big flashing red flag that lets you know that person is not understanding, is not compassionate, does not have your best interest in mind. That said, their expectation or hope of having sex is not going to go away. Um, I hate to break it to you, but they are dating you because they hope to have sex with you. That is the literal point of dating. That is actually was the point of marriage from the beginning of time, okay? So they're gonna hope to have sex with you, but you should not be pressured to have sex before you feel ready. So it sounds like you are having the conversation about when to get physical. They bring it up on the second or third date and you say, I'm not ready for that yet. The question is, how does the guy respond to that? So we can't let the fear of being labeled as a teaser approved block us from getting on the other side of that question. The illuminating part of the conversation for you is what happens after you say to them, I'm really enjoying getting to know you. I'm not ready to have sex yet, but I'm excited to see where this goes. And what is his reaction to that? That is where the interesting part of screening comes in, where you will see if this person has your best interests at heart and is an appropriate match for you. I have to clarify something though for you, Em. Slow love actually has nothing to do with sex. (laughs) I realize now that might have been confusing, but slow love is not take it slow sexually, slow love. Slow love means I'm not going to jump to conclusions about this person before we get to the point where the information I need has been revealed. Slow love is important for dating screening. As you figure out if someone is an appropriate match for you and if they match with your values, goals for the future, if you have mutual respect, which cannot be told on a first date, you cannot develop respect and trust in 90 minutes or less that has to be revealed over time your communication and conflict resolution the other of the four pillars has to be revealed over time that's what i mean by slow love letting someone reveal themselves to you like i didn't have butterflies on the first date with my husband i was intrigued i was curious i thought he was really smart i thought he was cute i didn't know where it was headed And I let it be a slow burn. I let him reveal himself. And as he became more comfortable with me, I got to understand him more. I became more curious. Curiosity should beget more curiosity if you're with someone that has those levels of depth. And that is what I really mean by slow love. That is what I mean by spacing out those interactions over time. It's not because I want you to, like I never want you to have sex. I want you to have sex. Believe me, I want you to have sex. I want you to have great sex. But I know that if you space out those interactions and you see what comes up in between the times that you've seen this person and what comes up when you tell them you want to wait until you know them better and you really feel an emotional bond to them to have sex, I want to see what's revealed to you in that. And I think that will literally be a game changer for your dating experience. And fun dates are great too, but deeper dates, more introspective dates, more revealing dates, that's when it gets really, really interesting. Next question comes to us from a listener named Jessica. She says, I'm a bi-cis woman who would love to explore queer relationships. I'm in my mid-40s and have only been with cishet men. Where do I begin, especially during these COVID times? Let me also just decode your question because I don't want to lose any of our listeners. So bi-cis woman means she was assigned female at birth and lives as a woman. Cisgender. Bi means bisexual. She's only been with cishet men. Cisgender." Same. Assigned male at birth. Living as male. Currently heterosexual. Okay, now we're all on the same page. Where do we begin, especially during these COVID times? Jessica, you know what my answer is going to be. Online. Honestly, that is the best way to expand your dating pool, especially when you're expanding into a new dating pool. Depending on the dating app data that you're looking at, somewhere around 65% of same-sex couples meet online. I'm always saying dating apps are the best way to expand your dating pool for all daters, but it's especially true for same-sex couples. And I think you also will find people, since you have not been in a relationship with a woman before, you will also find people there who are in the same boat that you are and would be understanding of the situation of being in your mid-40s and exploring a new part of your sexuality. I have heard that the dating app Her is really great for not only lesbian romantic relationships, but also just for expanding your relationships in the queer community. Because we want to use dating apps as a great resource, but it can't be the only thing that you're doing. So if you're able to also make other connections in the queer community that would help you to meet other people that you're comfortable with so that you can begin to explore. Of course, I have to say, okay, Cupid, we have over 60 different gender and orientation options. For those who don't know, I'm the official dating coach of the OkCupid dating app. And also I know behind the scenes, we've put a lot into the matching algorithm to be able to work for a lot of different genders and orientations because it is tricky in the matching algorithms, particularly if you are bisexual and you are dating people of many different orientations and gender identities, then some of the dating apps are not really programmed to work for that. So, you know, on OkCupid, you could literally, 60, like you could be man, woman, agender, androgynous, genderqueer, genderfluid, gender non-conforming, non-binary, pangender, trans-feminine, transgender, trans-man, trans-masculine, transsexual, trans-woman, two-spirit. I could literally go on and on. And so I think this is awesome that you, Jessica, are able to, even at 45, realize that you're growing and evolving and changing as you get more into the community, you may find that you want to continue to redefine how you look at your own sexuality and who might be a suitable partner for you. And I think that's awesome that even in your mid-40s, you are in a growth mindset place. I know it can be very intimidating to step into a relationship with someone of a different gender when you've only dated one gender and the The best advice that I can give you is just to try it, just to go ahead and dip your toe in, say yes to a date with a woman and just see how it goes. This comes back to what I was talking about at the top of the show of really getting clear on who you are and what your values are, what your goals are, and the qualities of an ideal partner for you. And it may look different than it did a year ago, two years ago. The person may be a different gender. They may be a different race. They may be a different religion. But the more we can go into 2022 just open and looking for human connection with open hearts and empathetic hearts, I think the better off we all will be. My friends, I hope you enjoyed episode 390 of Dates and Mates. I want to hear from you. My DMs are open for you on all of the socials at Damona Hoffman. I would love for you to send me a voice memo, message me your question. You can even call me. I have a 24-7 voicemail line at 424 246-6255. Yes, it takes texts as well. We will be back again next Tuesday with a special Dates and Mates Rewind episode where I'm bringing back one of my favorite masterclass episodes that is no longer on the feed. Only the last 100 episodes are on the feed, but I'm going to open up the archive for this very special masterclass for you. Until then, I wish you happy dating.